How many of you ever bought or sold something on eBay? Anybody here? Bought or sold something? How many of you heard of eBay? Okay, all of you. Okay, I thought you had. Um, eBay is a phenomenon that started back in uh, 1995 when a computer programmer created the site. And what he did is he wanted to sell something. He, had a, he wanted to see if he could sell stuff online. And what he did is he, he put his broken laser pointer up for auction on eBay. First item ever went for auction on eBay. Broken laser pointer. And uh, it sold for $13.83 on eBay. And he asked himself, well, if a broken laser pointer will sell on eBay, then there might be something to this. Uh, you've heard the rest of the story. He's made a couple of dollars uh, selling stuff on eBay and uh, by developing the site over the years. And uh, it's interesting what's been on eBay. You know the most expensive item ever sold on eBay? An $85 million yacht. I mean, how many of you go to eBay to buy your yacht? You know, I don't, can't imagine going to eBay to buy a yacht, but somebody did. $85 million yacht. The largest item ever sold on eBay, or uh, the biggest one, was a World War II submarine that happened to be owned by a town in New England. I don't know how they came across it, but they sold it on eBay. I don't know who would want a World War II submarine, but it was sold on eBay. Uh, some of the strangest things ever sold on eBay, and I can't decide what it is, what's the top one, but here's a few good ones. Uh, actually sold on eBay, the grilled cheese sandwich with the image of the Virgin Mary on it. Heard about that one? Yeah? Nah, some of you bought that. Okay. Uh, maybe bid on it. I don't know. Uh, Elvis's dental records were sold on eBay. Now, whether they are real, really Elvis's dental records, I don't know. Somebody bought it. Or uh, the, I think one of the best ones is the ad on there. They were selling on eBay. And it's, the ad simply offered stuff I found in my couch about an hour ago. <laughs> Somebody actually bought that. They must be people who like grab bags. So... Um, Interesting things. Now, the most interesting item probably ever sold on eBay, though, is, is probably this. Uh, did you hear a few years ago, back in 2006, about the grad student at DePaul University uh, who, uh, who was a self-professed atheist, and he put his soul up for sale on eBay? Literally said, my soul is for sale on eBay. Now, it's kind of interesting, since he was an atheist, what he was really selling, since he probably didn't believe in he had a soul. So, uh, I don't know what the deal was. He's trying to make money as a grad student. But uh, he sold his soul on eBay for $504. Uh, and who bought it was a pastor in the Chicago area. And uh, what he said, the deal, the deal was this. Uh, he said, I'll buy your soul if you will visit five Chicago area churches and write on my blog about your experience. And so this grad student from DePaul University did that. And uh, I found it interesting what the response of the buyer of the soul and the seller of the soul was. The, the guy who sold his soul said this, it's a win-win situation for me. If they convert me, I've just been saved. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> he sounded like he was a little open to some stuff. And then the guy who bought his soul said, well, over the last month after he bought, uh, bought it and went through this process, over the last month, we've been having a pretty friendly dialogue between atheists and Christians, and I'd say we formed something of a community. So uh, that was kind of like an interesting thing on eBay, selling his soul. The point is this. There is an unprecedented atmosphere in our world today um, of spiritual interest and openness. People are exploring spiritual things like probably never before. And, and literally, souls are going to the highest bidder. A few years ago, in 2006, I was uh, reading, uh, I read a lot of stuff online. I actually get a lot of magazines and stuff as well. And uh, Time Magazine had a couple of articles in it. One, it was called Allah's Recruits. 
and it was in August of 2007, uh, 2006, the article in there, and it talked about how people are searching, people who come out of a, a Christian worldview are searching, and so often they're turning to Islam, even fundamentalist Islam, and there was articles and stories in there about people doing that, uh, searching uh, for God and searching for truth. Another article, though, on the other side of it was, it was called, in that same uh, issue, was called The War for China's Soul. And what it talked about is how Christianity is spreading like crazy. And of all places, China, a place that puts down Christianity and doesn't allow it. At that time, in 2006, it estimated there were 65 million Christians in China. And it's grown exponentially since then. And, and so as we see that, people, people are searching uh, for uh, some questions about their soul. They're, they're asking questions, and there's no doubt we live in an uh, era of unprecedented uh, interest, spiritual interest and openness. And souls are available on the open market in a real sense. People are looking for something to sell their soul to. Now the question for us today is this, is this what does it mean for us? that people are searching, people are more comfortable in asking questions. Well, for some of us, it really doesn't mean a lot because we're still, we still have this apprehension when we talk about sharing our faith with someone else, about investing in people's lives. And so we want to talk about the importance of that for the next two weeks. We want to talk, this just a two-week series called Invest and Invite. And it's, it's part of what our strategy is and what we believe the Bible tells us we're to do uh, as, as believers in Christ. And if you have your Bibles this morning, we want to turn to a passage of Scripture that may be familiar to many of you who, uh, who, who read Scripture. But if not, it's, it's, a par- it's a parable that's told by Jesus. It's over in Matthew chapter 25. And as we read this, this passage, this called the parable of the talents, and talk about it, the application to our life, uh, it really talks about this whole thing of what are we going to do with people who are, who are searching for something in their life, who, who have this desire to... to, to reach something and reach out to something and have meaning and purpose in their life, and they're asking spiritual questions. Now, the story is, kind of goes like this. I won't read the whole thing, just parts of the verses this morning, but basically, one day, G- Jesus told this, this famous parable, and, and it's a parable, really, a metaphor he chose to use was investing money, and he said there was a certain wealthy guy, and he gave three of his employees money to invest for him. And the money uh, was in amounts called talents. Now, when we think of talents, we think of things we can do. But this is not. This is an amount of money in the story. Now, there was no small small amount of money that that this wealthy man was was giving to his his three of his employees to to do something with. Uh, Basically, uh, if we understand Scripture right and understand the the culture right, a talent was worth about a year's salary in people's lives. So it, was a, it was a big chunk of change. When you said, I have a talent of money, it was, it was a big amount of money that people were having. And so it says in the story, guy number one got five talents, five years wages. Guy number two got two talents, two years wages. And guy number three got one talent, one year's wage. And this is what it says about the first couple of guys. Verse 20 of Matthew chapter 25, it says, the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. And the master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents, and see, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Basically, the guy who had given a whole bunch of stuff, five years wages, went out and invested it. He just didn't hold on to it. He went out and invested it and had doubled his return. Pretty good investments. I don't care what era you live in. I mean, for us recently, that would be incredible, right? 
But the issue was it was, it was important that he invested because then, then he compares the next guy, verse 22, the man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Exactly the same response. It had nothing to do with, with, with how much he had. It had how did you invest what you have. Five for five, two for two. He had done the same thing, the same response from this wealthy, uh, from this wealthy uh, master here. Now, when I was growing up and I heard this story the first time, I felt kind of bad for the third guy because he only got, you know, what? One talent, but it's still a big chunk of change, a year's worth of salary. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a whole lot of stuff that he received. And, and it was still a big responsibility. And so when this master gave it to him, uh, while guy number one and guy number two invested it and got good return, and the, the wealthy guy was very happy with them in verse 24 through 27, it tells about the encounter with this third guy. It says this, Verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came and he said, Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Basically, he went home, put it in his mattress, decided just to hang out there and not do anything with it. He didn't lose it. He didn't, you know, it, it was still there. It was safe. But it wasn't done anything with other than that. See, here's what belongs to you. So he brings it back to his master at the end of this time and says, yeah, here's, here's it back to you. I haven't lose, lost anything. And his master replied, this was not exactly what we expected. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. See, guy number three just sat on his money out of fear of losing it. He never invested it, and it really ticked off the wealthy guy. I mean, if you don't get that, you know, it says that, you wicked, lazy servant. Is that what you want to hear somebody call you? Well, that is not what this guy wanted to hear. He thought he'd done a good deed. You know, I haven't lost anything. It's safe. It's sound. You know? So he soundly rebukes guy number three for not investing the resources that he'd been given. Now, the parallel for our lives is incredibly obvious because this is not about money necessarily. It's, it's, it's about what God has given us in our lives because one thing that we have been given is a huge amount from God. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about our lives. God has given us our very lives. He's given us, you know, so often we're inclined to think that our lives are about, are, are ours, that uh, they belong to us. But that's simply not true in Scripture. God says to us, our lives are on loan. Everything we have are on loan from God. And God wants us to invest what he has given to us in a way that will bring about a return. In the story, what matters most to God, I mean, what matters most to the wealthy guy, the story of the parable, the, what matters most to the wealthy guy is making more money. But what matters most to God and, and the thing that he says, and, he, and I know how, what it is because God says that when he sent his son into the world, what did he say his mission was? The son's mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. It's about people. It's about investing ourselves. It's about people's lives. That's the most important thing in God's economy. And, and when we look at this story, the story in this parable, uh, God number three doesn't invest uh, when the whole intention of the wealthy guy giving him the money was to invest. And why didn't he invest? Because it says in the story he was afraid. 
He was afraid. He was afraid that he might lose it. He was, had fears that if he invested, he would lose it. You know, how, many of you, how many of you believe that investing has, is a no-fear proposition? I mean, any of you, you know, recently begun to realize that investing is, is risky even in the best of times? I mean, before two years ago, investing for a few years there seemed like, oh, it's, I mean, you could invest in anything almost, and you would, you would get a return. I mean, but as, as Dave Ramsey says, the financial genius, he says, you know, all of a sudden we understood it because our 401ks turned into 201ks. And all of a sudden we realized that, re- that investing money is a, is, is, is a risky business. But at the same time, no risk, no reward. At the same time, and, and, and in the story, the, the story is really about the fears that we have that's, which drives us and stops us from investing and doing the things that we're to do. Sometimes some of you this morning have fears of investing your lives for God because, or, or, or sharing your faith with, with someone else or, or doing the things that would encourage someone else because you're saying to yourself, well, I don't even know where I am spiritually myself. So how could I ever invest in somebody else's life until I get my act together? Or somebody, some of you will say, well, maybe it's, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable because, you know, like if they ever, if I ever opened up my mouth and said something to somebody else, it might not come out the way I would like for it to, and they might laugh at me and think I'm some religious fanatic or some kind of really strange person. And so because of that, we don't invest in people's lives either. Or like a guy in Comedy Central, I mean, this was really, truly, truly just very clear and very, uh, I thought, profound. He said, a guy in Comedy Central in the middle of his routine stops and says, well, since we're all having such a good time here, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk to you a little, about, a little bit about Jesus in the middle of his comedy routine. And then he stops and says, he adds, I believe in Jesus, and that still makes me feel uncomfortable. At least he was honest. You know, at least he was honest. It makes us sometimes feel uncomfortable because we don't know tangibly how to do that because we think we have to know more, we have to do more, we have to understand more before we can actually be used and invest in other people's lives. We've all got our fears, and fears can be the deal breaker for us. Our rationale, our justification uh, for not investing ourselves into helping people find their way to him to take their next steps toward God. But I know this for a fact. I, I don't believe anybody here really wants to do anything that would displease God. I think we honor God. We fear God we, in, a, in a healthy way. We reverence God in such a way that we want to do stuff that would please God. So in this parable, in this story, if God is kind of seen in this story, which I believe he is, as the wealthy man who, who, who is, and, and we are the persons who are given the resources to use and to invest, then why, uh, then why is the, the, the wealthy person so mad? Why is he ticked off? Well, it's not because God is touchy or easily ticked off, but because the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high because ultimately, folks, how we choose and what we choose for God to do with God affects not only what we do here, but for all of our eternity. And because God has entrusted us with the the ability and he's given us the ability to help others take their next step towards God, then he's given us this incredible, important mission in our world. It's more important than what we do to make money. Uh, It's more important than what we do in anything else. It's more important because ultimately it affects people's destinies. So why do we help people take their next step towards God. Well, because God is so passionate about helping people take their next step towards him, it's, it's easy to look at. For instance, in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says this. 
It says, God has brought us back to himself through Christ. First of all, the first part of that verse, God has brought us back to himself through Christ. He has done for us. In two weeks, we celebrate Easter. What's Easter all about? Well, it's really about everything we do the whole year. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die upon a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be brought back to him. We could be in relationship with God. That's the first part of the verse. But then it says this, and he has given us, those of us who have accepted that gift and brought us back to him, he has given us the task of bringing others back to him through Christ. I mean, how much clearer can that be? Our task, you know, Mission Impossible, remember that? You know, the little jingle, and then, you know, they, you know if you will accept this mission. You know, and then they, you know, it goes through the whole thing. Our mission, God has given to us, our main task in life is to bring others back to him through Christ. He's given us that mission, to invest in other people's lives. That's what the story of this parable is. That's what the story of Scripture is. God has given us a mission to invest in other people's lives. The guy who wrote that, the Apostle Paul, as he was kind of explained this principle to a friend of his, his friend's name was Philemon, he said this in Philemon, well, I'll say chapter 1. Philemon only has one chapter, but it's chapter 1, verse 6 of Philemon. He says this. He says to Philemon, who lived in a very uh, secular, atheistic city, Paul says to Philemon, I pray, Philemon, that you may be active in sharing your faith. You see, before... Paul became a Christ follower. He was an activist already. He was a, a super driven, super successful, uh, rising star in his religious movement, which was not Christianity. He jumped through every hoop imaginable. His mom and dad, I'm sure, were proud of him because he was a rising star. He probably was a perfect student in school. Everything was going well for the Apostle Paul. But in the end, Paul found that all those things, all those achievements that he had had, you know, the rising uh, status in his, uh, if it had been a company, it would have been a CEO probably of what he was doing. He found all those things to be a bankrupt way of life. And he found his life empty, found it hollow, until he met Jesus Christ. And when he met Jesus Christ, it changed his life forever. And when it changed his life forever, what it did, he writes years later this letter to Philemon, talking of the joy of following Christ and of sharing the joy with others. And he says to him, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, Philemon. Now, the word active in here is not always what we think it is. It's not just about activism. Because the word in Greek actually means energized. The word active actually means energized. And you put that in the context, I pray that you may be energized in your faith by sharing your faith. So often in this world, what we do is we come and we come to church and we, and we go through the motions of being Christians. And I'll just I'll be honest with you folks, it's really easy to do that. And we come and we go home and it really doesn't change our life. It doesn't energize us. We're not excited about the Christian life. We don't feel any joy in the Christian life. It becomes more of a burden to us. But what Paul is saying to us is this. He said, hey, if you really want to be excited... You want to feel the energy, the joy of living the Christian life? Let me tell you how to do it. How you do it is you actively share your faith. You actively invest in others. It's taking our eyes off of ourselves and focusing our attention on other people. That's what he's saying to us. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, 
That's exactly right because I don't follow Christ because I get paid to. I don't follow Christ because it just intellectually makes sense, because some of the things based on faith. I don't follow Christ for any other reason than the fact that Jesus Christ has changed my life and is changing my life. My relationship with God is, is actively working in my life day to day. I mean, I doesn't mean that when I became a follower of Christ, I became perfect or I had all the answers, but at least I had the, the resources in life. I felt I had a purpose in life. And when I have that in life, one of the things I want to do, and if I really, really love God, is I want to, uh, uh, it makes me love other people and begin to see other people through God's eyes. And it, the desire I have is to share that with others. And in doing so, it energizes my life. It makes me, there's nothing, let me tell you this morning, it was the coolest thing. Before the first service, I was out in the hall, I didn't know this was going to happen. And uh, uh, one of the mothers of some kids came up to me, and uh, she was sharing with me, she said, hey, the coolest thing happened this morning. My daughter came in the bathroom, nine-year-old daughter, came in the bathroom, and she, and I was taking a shower, and she yelled at me, mom, mom, I got to talk to you. And she says, go away, child. I don't know if she said that or not, but uh, Basically, that's what happened. She didn't know what she was talking about. She said, and that night, during the night, another friend of this little girl had stayed over at her house, and she said, Mom, Mom, this other little friend of hers had accepted Christ. This nine-year-old had shared her faith with this other nine-year-old and led her to Christ. Now, that's pretty exciting, folks. And this little girl, man, she was so excited, she couldn't wait for her mom to get out of the shower. Because it energized her. That's the picture here we have, folks. If you want to be energized in the Christian faith, if you don't, you know, you're going like, oh, man, being a Christian, uh, it's, it's kind of, you know. Remember the, uh, is it Stein? What's this, the guy that's a commercial? Bopping things on the head. Ben Stein. You remember the commercial? And in the commercial, you know, he's bopping. He's sitting there on the park bench, and he's going. At the end, says something like, uh, and this is, I'm so excited. And he sits there like this. You know, sometimes our Christian life's that way. You know, I am so excited about being a Christian. Yeah, I just, it just, I'm overwhelmed. You know, that really draws people to Christ. Well, the thing is, is that if you want to be energized, it says to Paul saying to us, he's saying to us, the key is be active in sharing your faith. And you know what the last part of that verse says? I, I left it off intentionally. Show me the last, next part. The reason, he says, I want you to pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith is this, is that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Notice what it doesn't say. It says, well, if you, you know, if, if, if you are active in sharing your faith, lots and lots of people will come become Christ followers if you do. That might happen. But he says the main reason here I want you and Paul talking about this is that you will have you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You will be energized and your life will be more full and you'll begin to have joy in your life and you will begin to understand what it really really means to live the life of Christ, to live the life for Christ. See, as you invest in others, you help them find their way back to God, take their next step towards God, the return on that investment will be a greater understanding and appreciation for all the good things that we have as a result of finding our way to God ourselves. 
It's kind of like this. Before I had kids, I never really, really fully appreciated Christmas. You know, before I, before I had kids, Christmas was all about me. You know, growing up, Christmas was all about you, right? You know, I got all excited about Christmas growing up because I'd get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, way before I was a morning person, you know, get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, Mom and Dad, get out of bed, it's Christmas. It wasn't about them, it was about me. I wanted to open my presents, right? That's what you did. Just be honest, we all selfish, right? Yeah, okay, no, no, okay, whatever. Some of you say you're not, but that, that's not true. Um, But when I had kids, all of a sudden the focus of Christmas shifted for me. You know, my wife and I quit giving ourselves, giving each other presents after, after our kids started coming along. Basically, even when they were two and three years old, I remember, you know, going out and spending all this time trying to find the perfect present for a two or three-year-old. I don't know why we do that. It's totally stupid. And I used stupid in a good way there. Um, but the issue was that you'd come home... You, they'd open, you know, Christmas morning, here's a two-year-old sitting there with a box, but, you know, there's things you spend hours, you know, looking for. You, you help them take the paper off of it. They take the paper off of it. They open the box. They take the thing out, look at it for a second, throw it aside, play with the box. That's the way, that's my experience. But let me tell you, they got incredible joy in playing with that box. And then later on, they actually, you know, as they got older, they actually played with the stuff that was inside. The thing that was different was all of a sudden, it wasn't about me, it was about them. I was energized because I got, took my eyes off myself and focused my attention upon them. It changed my perspective. And Paul is saying to you and to me, if you want to be energized in the faith, you want to get a fuller understanding of every good thing that Christ has in store for you. What you need to do as a believer in Christ is to take your eyes off yourself and to focus your attention on other people by sharing the thing that's most important to you by giving them the gift that God has given to you. Does that make sense? I don't think it could be any clearer than that in Scripture. So how can we invest in people's lives? I'm going to give you two quick things, and then we're going to see a testimony, a video testimony this morning. Um, I'll tell you more about that in a, in a moment. I want to give you two tangible ways that you can begin to invest in people's lives because this is the place so often that we, we kind of say, okay, how do I do that? And how do I do that? And this testimony is going to give you some ways as well. If we think outside of ourselves and realize that our mission here as individuals and as a church is to invest on people outside of ourselves, number one, and I, I'm unashamedly, I will tell you this, we need to invest financially. Invest financially. You know, if for us to, to, to meet the needs uh, of, of people around us, it takes resources, our time, our talents, and our money. And God has told us, and last year we talked about this as two different series, the Dave Ramsey series and another series we did a, a year ago in the fall where we talked about that God has said to us, you know, everything that, that you have is mine, but I want you to reinvest some of that stuff back in, in, into my work. And he says the, the bottom line is to give 10% of my resources. And my wife and I have shared and have done that for years and years and years as a bottom line. When I had my first job as a newspaper boy back when I was 14 years old, that my parents taught me, and it's always been a principle in my life, that I give back to God the first portion of that, the first 
I began, and, and it, that hasn't been the bottom line for us over the years. We realize that is, it says tithes and offerings. And so over that, what we've done over the years is we've tried to increase our giving to God as well. And I've heard story after story after story in people's lives when they've done that for how it makes a difference in what the, how they think about things, how they value things in their life. But God says, you know, he wants us to do that. And let me tell you the reason. This fall in the life of our church, we're going to be talking about next steps as a church. Next steps as a church. What are we going to do next? And because God isn't finished with us yet. You know, we, we reach right now on a Sunday morning, the average Sunday morning, five to 600 people. I'm guessing this morning we have between the two services close to 600 people here with the kids and everything. And the thing is, is that the question for us is not about, okay, we got you guys here, you're here, we want to invest in you and want to get you involved in ministry and do all the things. But what about the next 500 people? If we have the next 500 people, guess what? It's, it's going to mean some, it's going to mean that we're going to have to probably expand facilities. I'll tell you where, over there. Our kids' areas are maxed out sometimes. Now we have to decide, is that the way God, or we want to have multiple services? Do we want to, do we want to, uh, uh, in a sense, think about maybe planting other churches and doing things like that? Those are all questions for us as we invest down the road, take next steps as a church. And for all of us, the next step on our spiritual journey. But the thing is, is that we'll be asking everyone to invest in the next steps in many ways. Because there's thousands of people around here within reach of this church that need to know Jesus Christ. Some of them live next door to you. Some of them you work with. Some of them you go to school with. You just look around and think about those things. Invest financially. Secondly, I'm another uh, tangible thing is we need to invest relationally. We need to invest relationally. The people that live next door to you, that work in the next cubicle or the next office, they work out next to you, whatever. They need somebody in their life who will speak into their life, who will help them to take their next step. A couple of months ago, in one of our leadership team meetings, um, one of the persons on our leadership team shared a story about how God had, had, had nudged her in a new direction. And I'm talking about a person who is a person who is heavily invested in serving. As somebody who's been a key leader in this church for many, many years, ever since its inception. But she was sharing with us the story of how this one friend of hers had made her rethink some things and priorities in her life. And we said, hey, would you share that testimony with everybody else? And we couldn't get her to come up here this morning and do it. But we did get her to do it on videotape. So right now I want you to watch this, this story that has everything to say with what we just talked about this morning. And I'll come back and close. I have... A wonderful friend in my life and her name is Marla and um, I'm so thankful that God has brought her into my life uh, he's used her in a lot of ways but most powerfully in my life as an example of someone who invests and invites in people and she's challenged me in this area and it kind of all came to a head this past fall. And we were out on the St. Charles um, trails, walking and talking like we do a lot. And she was just sharing about the different people in her life. And as she shared about these different people in her life, it was 
evident that she cared very deeply for them and cared deeply enough for them that she was spending time with them and loving them and serving them and just inviting them to see her life. And as we're walking and uh, talking, the kind of conversation comes to an end and I says, let's just pray for these people. And so we prayed for these people that God would continue to work in their lives and that God would continue to use Marla um, to minister to them and to serve them. And we finished our prayer and we continue walking and then Marla asked me a question. She says, Betty, who does God have in your life that you're reaching out to? And I kind of stopped short because I felt like, um, well, you know, there are people in my life, but as I got to think about them, I said, Marla, you know, I think I'm at a place at my life where I don't have a lot of contact with people outside of the church. I mean, I'm very involved at, at my church and I help in Upstreet. I work with the kids and I um, am just around a lot of Christians all of the time or most of the time. And I felt like I couldn't give her an answer with there are people outside in the community that I'm involved in. I spend a lot of time helping out babysitting for my grandkids and helping my mom and helping my aunt and but all these people are believers and not that that's not saying that that's not important that is important and there's ways that and God calls us to minister to believers as well but as far as reaching outside of into the community into people that don't believe I didn't have a lot of contact in the past I did and that my when I was out in the work world and I wasn't a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home grandma. I did have contact with people, and I was investing in people's lives there. But when she asked me that question, I couldn't say, yeah, there are these people in my life that I'm, I'm investing in. And so I just kind of said, this is where I'm at in my life right now, Marla. And she didn't say anything for a little bit. She says, well, Betty, I'm going to pray for you that... That there will be someone that you can reach out to because I know there must be someone who needs a Betty in their life. And I don't think what she was saying is that Betty is so great, but what she was saying is, Betty, you have Jesus. And there are people who need Jesus. And in that sense, they need a Betty in their lives. So I went home and that just kind of gnawed at me. In my quiet times, I would, I would go to the Word and that thought would always come to my mind. Who are you investing? Who are you caring for that, that doesn't know me? And um, one day I was out running and the thought again came and my heart was, God, you know my heart. You know how I would love to reach out and be involved in people's lives who don't know you. You know my heart. I'd go to Africa if you asked me to. I mean, that I would go. I would go. And so, um, as I'm running, the thought came to mind, okay, who is it that you do have in your life that's involved in the world, in, in unbelievers' lives? And uh, the thought came to me, I have family members who are out in the work world that have contact with people every day. Is there any way I can connect with those people and then the thought came to my mind um, 
that my daughter-in-law has contacts with kids up at the high school. Is there any way I could kind of connect with those kids? And God says, yes, there is a way you can connect with those kids. You can invite them into your home and provide a team meal for them and in that way get to know them and invest in their lives in that way. I think one thing that I learned from that question that Marla asked me was that when we invest in people it doesn't have to be something huge or something way out there out of where we are at but it was in the midst of what I was already doing in the midst of my own home that God opened my eyes to an opportunity that I had to serve and to invest in others and to be interested in others and I think the one thing I learned was that if I begin my day with a prayer I gotta open my eyes to see the people that you're seeing today he will do that and it may be a clerk in the grocery store or that from what I've heard in a conversation that she may be having I can sense that she's having a bad day I invest in her life by saying a prayer as I leave that grocery store that God would minister to her in a special way that day or send someone alongside of her with a word of encouragement or or maybe it is a a passion that you have I, I, for example my passion or my love is to just open my home and in, invite people in and to cook for them <laughs> So for me, it was a natural thing to have these girls in and cook a, a meal for them and listen to their conversations and be interested in them. So I think God taught me, I will take what you have. I will take the interests that you have that I've given you and I will help you connect with people through those interests. So I guess I would say that I learned that it does not have to be something real huge. It's just opening your life to, to see people the way God sees them. I want to give you two ways you can begin to do that this morning. I want you to do two things. In your bulletin, there's two things I want you to pull out right now. One is the, the if you don't have it already out, the uh, sermon outline and flip over on the back of it. The other thing is the welcome card this morning. We held off for purpose. We did not forget our offering this morning, by the way. This was done purposefully this morning. Uh, I want to give you two ways to begin over the next couple of weeks to invest in people's lives. In, uh, as Betty said, it's, it begins by praying the prayer, God, who is it in, in, in my life that I can invest in? And so uh, earlier this year, uh, I challenged you, uh, as we talked about this year, about, you know, this year in 2010, to begin to make impact on people's lives, to make a list of people that you know. And maybe you've already done this. You already have this in your Bible or have this with your quiet time devotional or whatever. But I'll reprint it again if you haven't done this already. 
But I encourage you to do this. I encourage you to sit down and think about who are people in my life, my, my neighbors, my family members, uh, my friends, my people I work with, I go to school with, those type of people that, that I can begin to pray about that have specific needs in their life that don't know Christ maybe or maybe are disconnected from God. Maybe they're not actively involved in the life of a church. Uh, you, you just know them that way, and you begin to pray for them specifically. I encourage you to write down in, you know, that, that, ten, that top ten list and begin every day to pray for these people. And, and use it, as Betty said, just gotta, today, let me see them through your eyes. And God will begin to work in your life today. Let them see that person and open doors of investing in those person's lives. That's step one. Step two, on your welcome card this morning, I want you to think about tangibly making a commitment for the next two weeks. Two weeks from now is Easter Sunday. And, and I've shared you this before. Culturally, Easter is a time when a lot of people go to church that don't go to church any other time of year. Truthfully, for, for believers, it's, it's the easiest time of the year to invite people to church. And we're beginning a new series called Destinations that's going to start on Easter Sunday for six weeks through one of the most significant passages of Scripture in all of Scripture, Romans chapter 8. And I would encourage you to, to make this commitment. Over the next two weeks, I'm going to invite at least three people who are not connected with a church, who are not connected with Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite them to church, either for Easter Sunday or part of that series along the road. If you can't get them there Easter, then we've got a whole series, several weeks. It'll all be relevant for where they are, for where we are. Now, I'm asking you to do that. Not, it's not about, you know, closing the deal, closing this. I'm asking you to be faithful. Just invite them, Okay. And you begin to do that, have these tangible things to do in your life. We promise you that Great Oaks is going to have it put its best foot forward. We're going to be ready for their kids. We're going to be ready here for worship. And we're going to be ready to hopefully help them to take their next step as well. If you'll just invest in, in, in inviting them to this time. Next week we're going to talk more about this whole thing of inviting people as well. And how we can do that in an encouraging and non-threatening way. But I hope this next week that you'll do that. If you make that commitment this morning to do that with that welcome card, write on that card somewhere, uh, I'll make the commitment to invite three people, okay? And then just place it in the offering bag in just a moment when it's, uh, when it's passed, okay? Let's pray right now before we have our offering and before we close our service with the song as well. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.